Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. If you know South African music, you definitely know the songs Indigo Girl and Letters. With the very early success of these smash hit singles and two South African Music Award winning albums under their belt, the band has maintained and grown a loyal following both locally and internationally for 22 years. Subsequently, all their albums have achieved gold or platinum status on various sales platforms. Up next on Slapsvant, we've got Craig Hines from Watershed. Craig, how are you? Where do we find you in the world and what's happening in your life? Um, hello, Bird. Um, yeah, well, I'm currently um, in Cape Town. Um, we, we recently got back from a, um, a tour with a band to Europe. We did Germany and Austria and we got back a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, I think just settling into um, South Africa again, um, planning our, our season of shows heading into summer uh, when we get pretty busy. But yeah, you know, it's sort of more a little bit of admin now, um, along with shows popping in and out here and there. The difference between audiences in Europe and South Africa. Are there differences? Um, I would say, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, uh, South African audiences um, are, are, are sort of, I would, I would think, are on different levels, are more reserved. But at some, and on other levels, the, the European audiences are more reserved. And I think what I mean by that is that um, during showtime, so when the band is, is on stage, um, the European audiences seem to be more reserved, so quieter. They sort of really, it seems like they're there to watch, um, you know, and sort of just sort of take it all in. Um, um, the South African audiences um, are, during the shows are, are sort of uh, tend to be slightly more rowdy um, mm -hmm. sort of jumping up and down and getting involved. But then afterwards, the, the, the Europeans like to come up and chat and sort of engage at that level. Um, and in South Africa, it seems at that point, South Africans are more shy. That's interesting you say that. You know, it's, the thing is that, I've, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, is that in Europe and America, artists are not putting, are a diamond dozen in the sense they're there so often and so regularly. So there's a perception of that the artist is one of the crowd. Whereas in South Africa, because we have less, and it's happening more regularly now, we're more artists for the last 20 years or so since, you know, end of apartheid, 25 years, that we have more artists coming through. We feel that, you know, the artist is over there, a, a distance away from us, and they a little bit more um, reserved in the sense or shy to speak to them in the sense that, are the, we allowed to do it? You, you know, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think we've been sort of um, fame has has really catapulted sort of globally because of social media, and um, I, I think everyone wants to be famous because they think um, everyone can be famous. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of something that they everyone aspires to. You know, I think I think back in the day, um, people just got on with life and they worked, and you know, and you had your normal normal jobs that were sort of floating about. But now. Most people 
see, you know, celebrity is always sort of littered all over social media. And I think a lot of people want to be that. Um, um, so, it, yeah, I think fame is, is, is sort of really put up there now. To be to to be famous, and I'm not saying that you know watershed on any any sort of level as as some of these um, worldwide superstars, um, whether they be uh, famous for some dance on TikTok or <laughs> famous for a big hit song or yeah. or a sporting legend. Um, I think it's, it's it seems so accessible that 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 the people sort of tend to think it's really easy, and at, and at that point to be famous is something really special. So, so everyone is really sort of supporting. They, they're loving the whole idea of it. Exactly. So now let's take it all the way back to the beginning of the band. Tell us the journey of Watershed. First of all, tell us where does the name come from and why that name? Um, so, so right in the beginning, I'm talking now, um, 1999. So 23 years back, um, when I first first started the band um, with another guy, and the the idea was to call it uh, Watershed. I, I, I thought of the name because I actually came from a teaching background. I actually studied school teaching and qualified as a school teacher, um, and then went on to teach for two years. Um, so I think that complete change of scenery um, from being a school teacher to just to, well to become to choosing a career in music was was a pretty sort of substantial um uh, watershed for me um at that time of my life to take the risk to get involved in original music you know i think it's one thing to um to play cover you know to be a part of a cover band in, in pubs um where you can earn sort of fairly decent money whether you know as long as you play good cover songs um, but I think to take the plunge and, and decide on a, an original music career, um, as I say, coming from something uh, quite stable, um, you know, a day job, it um, it was, as I say, quite a quite a sort of watershed moment. Right. And and yeah, it all kicked off in in two thousand, which was the release of Watershed's um, first album. In the meantime. Tell us about the creative process of creating music. Is it the same every time? Is it different? Um, is it collaborative? What is that process for yourself? Yes, it's um, you know, I think I think making music at this level for twenty-two years now um, is something that is 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 really cool, and I think one never gets tired of it. Um, because I think music, for me as a writer, um, always evolves. I think the way I listen to music um, is not necessarily your sort of just putting a putting a radio on and putting putting your 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 favorite um, Spotify playlist on and listening to music. That's sort of more when you're completely relaxing, you're at a party, whatever. Then you just sort of tend to sit and enjoy music. I think, but uh, nine times out of ten, I mean, I, I battle to even walk through a shopping center when they're playing music through the through the system in particular shops because I, I lose concentration because I'm really sitting and listening to that actual song and what's going down in that song and why are they doing that? And so I think it's permanently um, listening, sort of really scrutinizing songs and really um, listening to what's going on out there, what artists are doing. Um, you know, and I think all of that sort of um, information that you take on board um, definitely um, plays a part in in where you are creatively as an artist, or at least it helps tweak where you think you might be heading. Um, 
I, I feel that over over the 20 years, my um, songwriting style has sort of remained um, true to to the music that I think I write naturally. Um, you know, I've never felt, you know, I've never wanted any song to sort of sound contrived, you know, as if you've sort of um, tried too hard to make it something. I think the song needs to be completely uh, natural to you um, so that people get to, I think they naturally then just pick up that this sounds real. Um, and and at that point, I, they, they, I, I believe people, people will, will get behind that music and that artist. I'm not sure if you're aware about NLP, neurolinguistic programming. For those people who don't know, I'm also an NLP coach and people in, um, absorb information differently, kinesthetically, audio, visually. So when you hear music, what do you hear? Do you hear the energy? Do you hear the instrumentation? Do you hear the voices or the words clearly? What's the first, when you hear a song, what's the first element you hear in your mm. world? I think the thing that pulls me in um, initially is the groove. So it's the energy and the groove of that particular okay. song. And um, I think once that's got my attention, I'll then, yeah, then probably start picking up on on hook hook lyrics, um, and then only once those hooks are, uh, I've, I've sort of picked up on those. I'll probably start listening to the the lyrics and the story. But oh, I think I think up front it's I think up front it's definitely I think you're drawn to a song by just hearing that instant energy. Um, but but um, and it is because I think a lot of my um, songwriting is very lyric focused. Uh, but but. Um, I'm not one of those writers where you, you you've written sort of, if, if for want of a better word, you've written a poem, mm -hmm. um, and then and then having to go and find music to make that poem a song. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's. I also write that way. I'll 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 first try and find um, uh, something that I think could be a good sort of groove, whether it be for an tempo or for a, um, a more of a ballad and I think once that's established and there's a hook there um, I, I'm, I'll naturally then start start with the lyrics as sort of the second the, the second tier of, of, of that that creative process and is that process easy for you always or is it sometimes a bit of a challenge yeah, you know, I was I, I mentioned the word contrived a couple of minutes ago, and I think um, I think I'm one of those that I'm a firm believer in it being completely um, um, natural to you. You know, everything you do, the way you do things, the way you play your guitar, um, the way you write songs, the way you write words, um, it needs to feel natural. And I think one thing I've always told myself is, if I haven't got a a, a, a sort of a, a, a good idea of where the song's going regarding melody and regarding an, a song, a lyrical idea. Um, after 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I'll probably uh, put the song aside. Okay. Because, because all I think is what, what starts to happen then is you start to think too hard mm -hmm. about the idea. You, uh, and, and I think at that point for me, and, and, and all writers are different. Um, uh, some guys can sit and they work for, for, for a long time to really make that story just perfect. For me, I want the story to make sense really quickly. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so so once again, I think it goes down to that that point where, you know, the, if the song's feeling good, it should happen pretty quickly. Um, if you start trying too hard, I think the public will pick up on that and go like, mm, trying a little bit too hard. Yeah. Now the song Indigo Girl is. Mm. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Um, it was, you know, really simple song. Um, I remember writing it. Um, I was still living with my folks, um, and there was a piano at home, and I was messing around with that piano and came up with the piano line first. Um, it was my right hand, and and I was playing that line over and over again and and then i managed to uh, add the bass line which which really made it then sound really cool um and i just kept on playing that over and over again because i love that riff and and then i started to uh, hum that over that thing and that worked really well as a sort of a sort of a counter sort of melody to what the piano was doing and then the words Indigo Girl started to, I started to sing those words over and over again. And once that was established, so the, piano, the piano hook was done, the melody was done, and there was a, a strong lyric that was mm-hmm. something that could, I could then write the rest of the song around. Then it happened, and the song happened really quickly as well. And, um, yeah, for me, it was then done. It was just another song. Um, and if, even if I take you right up to that first album, so that obviously happened uh, probably two years before the, two or three years before the release of the first album in 2000. Um, and when we got to record that album, um, Indigo Girl was never even going to be a single. I think we put it at track nine on the album. Um, so it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't considered to be a single. And uh, just strange things happen and uh, <laughs> the song just did incredible things so now the why the color indigo was there any specific uh, reason around that because the reason i asked is do you know about indigo children yes no i've been asked <laughs> this question many many times <laughs> and i think um you know I, I i first heard about indigo children at, quite a long time after i'd written the song okay so to answer your question, it, no, it isn't about indigo children. Um, it, it, an indigo person for me is, a, is, is the, perfect, the perfect person. Um, so you're singing about that, that perfect person that, that would you long for to be in your life. Um, you know, and uh, I, I think there's a whole mix of various things that, that you know, the, the, the color indigo has has become that color for that particular song. Um, the word indigo and the way it's sung fitted in really well with okay. the melody. So there's a there's a bit of a combination of various things, and because of the one thing, another element has been brought out in the 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 the, the, the color indigo. It's interesting because whenever I heard used to hear that song, because I'm very I'd known about that and all this stuff. I'm like, this is about indigo children. <laughs> this is about indigo children. So those guys who are listening who don't know about indigo children, Google it. Giving you some homework. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> now tell us more about the new album and the new songs. Yeah, so um, yeah, so just just to quickly rush through the career in, in 2004, okay. uh, so 2003, we released our second album called... Um, 
um, wrapped in stone. And then we did an album in 2005 called Mosaic, and we had, we had some nice tunes on that album. Um, you know, I think every album for me has had its, a, a very special place. It's normally a body of work that's sort of in the same theme, um, production-wise, going the same route, um, and all the while, I think, trying to just improve and and progress. And so the twenty the twenty uh, the two thousands, we released four albums, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, they just all had really cool things about them. Some were easier to record; um, it sort of happened easier. Some took a little bit longer. Um, I was doing a little bit of co-writing um, in in the UK, and um, I think I did some work in in Nashville around that time as well. Um, but definitely, those four albums fit into uh, 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 that decade. Moving into the 2010s to now, um, we released um, we released three albums during that time: 2015, 2018, and 2021. With Elephant in the Room being our, our latest album, but um, for me, these three albums have, are, are substantially different to the, the four albums in the 2000s. Um, keeping in mind the songwriter sort of remained the same, but from a production point of view, we've really wanted to sort of sort of just tweak a few things. And, and I think the three albums from Watch the Rain in 2015 to Harbour in 2018 to Elephant in the Room Now, I just feel that each album has has progressed and just for for us sounded better and better. So it it feels that we're on the on the on the right track, and um, yeah, very very happy with Elephant, which was released last year. There was a bit of a gap between the 2015 and the 2000s. What were you doing in that gap period? Were you still writing and touring, or did um, you take a break? What was happening in your world? Well, well, well. Yeah, yeah. I think according to the the public, we 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 took a a, um, a break or a hiatus, as often being called. But, yeah. um, but we we actually didn't. Um, we we kept touring, so we've we've never stopped touring, even during that two thousand and eight to twenty fifteen. Um, in twenty ten, we released a, a best of called A Million Faces, which had a few singles on there as a as bonus track. But the album was 20 hits in 10 years. Um, and we took the 20 songs we had had on radio for 10 years, and those were the songs that we put on the on the album. We actually had an awesome campaign. We got all the um all all the watershed fans to send in a tiny little little um pixelated shot of themselves and mm-hmm. or at least a photograph. And we then pixelated this whole thing into thousands of 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 fans' faces, which made up the album cover. Oh, I remember um, that actually. Yes, 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 yes. Mm, yeah. So we we so we put that out in 2010, um, and then it was World Cup, I think, and so everything went a bit ballistic. I think we had a song that was featured on some World Cup thing, which was quite fun. Um, and then in, in 2012, I did a solo album called Ordinary Boy, which I went and recorded in LA with a a friend of mine over there. Um, and that had nothing to do with, with, um, with Watershed stopping to play. It was purely a time uh, I went away, wrote songs, recorded, released, and, you know, life went on for Watershed, but I also had this, this sideline um, project on. Um, 
Unfortunately, and, and I say that because I've, I really enjoyed the Ordinary Boy album and I think it, it needed a little bit more love and attention. I think it could have done more stuff. Um, but I think around about then it was 2013, 2014, and the vibe was that we needed another Watershed album. So Ordinary Boy seemed to take a back seat. But that's cool. Um, you know, I, as I say, I really enjoy the album. And then... Um, and then came 2015 and another watershed album mm-hmm. popped along so um yeah that's that's sort of the last 22 years for you and uh, ordinary boy it is available for people to listen to or purchase or download yes yes okay. absolutely so that is on um yeah you you'll you'll search craig hines yeah and um and then well there is only one album there. yes so, so we'll so listeners be- we'll give it more love let's get it back out there <laughs> give it a little, little bit more love <laughs> definitely I'll be, I'll be listening to that and downloading that so now when you first started um recording releasing it was more cds at that time um mm. than cassettes more cds gratefully for me and a bunch of people i'm very happy about it cds and vinyls and cassettes are making a comeback but it's now these digital platforms. Your thoughts around the way consumers are now listening to music in on those platforms. What are your thoughts around it? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's. Um, I think the 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 big upside is that um, you your music is consumed worldwide or can be consumed worldwide. So we're getting exposure in a lot more territories than we used to back in the Indigo Gold days. It was really up to your record label. You would be released physically in South Africa. If another country picked up on your music, you'd be released physically there. Um, you know, for, uh, it would really have to be a massive deal to for your your CDs to be distributed worldwide. So, um, so yeah. So the big upside is that you know your music's way more accessible. The, the downside is that. Um, which I think is, is is quite obvious is um, is that streaming platforms you're not you're not earning nearly as much as you were earning through a CD sale or a vinyl sale um, that sort of thing. So people are also consuming music way quicker because it's so digital. It's so quick. It's like thirty seconds, and if they don't dig the song, they're going to move on to the next one. Whereas back in the day, you'd buy a, a CD and that was yours. You're sort of almost forced to listen to the whole thing because you've just paid one hundred and thirty bucks for it. So it's it's um it's sort of yeah it's 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 a catch twenty two, and you you know I think it's pointless sort of sort of harping on the, the good old days because things move at an incredibly fast pace nowadays. And, um, you know, being able to you know, find a song, um, Shazam a song, make playlists, um, go and listen to something, it's really easy. And, and I think that's, that, that's made life cool. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a tough one. But um, people are listening quickly. People are wanting results. Um and 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 I mean, as an artist, I think it's cool because for us to listen to what's happening anywhere in the world, um, what's on radio, what are people streaming, what's popular, what's happening on TikTok, what's going on, you know, uh, for us we can we can pick up on that and and see what trends are doing, um, and that was always uh, very different back then. I think um, with the, you know with digital with technology, um, suddenly they are thousands and thousands and thousands more bands in the world because mm-hmm. it, it's very easy for someone to 
to set up a home studio and record an album and record a song. And so it's just, there's it, it just so much music nowadays. Um, so because of that, it, I mean, it, it, it can only be a good thing. Oh, it's, 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 it's cool. But, for, you know, I hear what you're saying. But for me, I, I have my Spotify, but I still love my CDs. I love holding that thing, that aesthetic thing, looking at the booklets and experiencing it because, and just unpacking a couple of the elements you just spoke of. If, first of all, with regards to having the Spotify, like, for example, I could create playlists for certain things. And I'll go back six months down the line or a year down the line. I go back into that specific playlist and some of the songs have been removed. Are they now now lo- no longer on the platform? And it's like, well, why aren't mm. they there? Whereas if I've got the CD and if I've yeah. got the physical thing, it's always there. It's always tangible. It's always mine. But what mm. you said about the the quickness and the fastness of it, um, mm. do you maybe not think that people are not taking the time to absorb the, the music energetically anymore because it's so fast-paced. It's sort of going over them. Um, and pass them instead of them experiencing it. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, as you say that that aesthetic thing, that physical thing with the band's photographs on them, and you get to know each band member because they've each written a little mm-hmm. thank you and a little thing about their family and a little thing about their history, um, and their photographs in that thing, and all the words are there. And you can read the words over and over, over again. I know on Spotify, those you, those channels you can go and the lyrics are there but it's more like a karaoke you're singing yeah. along and the, the other words it's but it's it's that thing that i mean i'm i'm the same as you um don't get me wrong i i, I I'm, I'm a big fan in 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 physical um the new album we've actually done it in vinyl as well so it's available in vinyl and i tell you when we, we when we received those vinyls it was a really special moment because mm-hmm. on our that's our eighth album and so seventh album and it's the first time we've had vinyl, and that's oh. now, wow, in 2021. Okay. You know, and um, so, so it seems a bit odd that we didn't we didn't have vinyl in in 2000, but we've got it now. Um, but I think that's just a group of people that are saying, "Wow, it is so cool to actually have these things." If you look at the physical elements at the moment, vinyl is the top, uh, as in coming making comeback. CDs last year, in the first time in 21 years, um, numbers in, uh, had an increase in sales. And cassettes, can you believe cassettes are also making a comeback? So, really? Yeah, absolutely. And they, um, I follow the official charts, which is the UK. You know, they have the UK charts and the Billboard charts. And on the UK charts, um, they keep going on about how much percentage of sales have increased for vinyl, CDs, and cassettes each year. And the numbers aren't like 1% or 2%. It's like 20 30 40% of the numbers increasing. So that's mm-hmm. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it, it is cool. And what was so cool about physical from an artist's perspective is that you knew if you sold a vinyl or you sold a CD, you knew exactly how much money was going to come into your bank account yeah. because you had done a deal with the label. That was the, the, that was the sum. This is what you're getting. Nowadays, whether if someone listens to a song for thirty seconds, there's a different there's a different algorithm to what you're going to earn. So if they listen to the entire song, I didn't know that. That's interesting. So if a person listens to a whole song, you might get a little bit more than if they listen to half the song. Yeah, there's a difference if it's full stream. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. But still, even if it's a full stream, it's not amazing money either. I mean, it's like zero point yeah, no, yeah, or something it's, ridiculous. It's 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 uh, it's, in, it's it's incomparable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about 
your enjoyment of performing live? What is that experience for you? Besides the differences for audiences, getting out there, performing your, your songs live, what do you enjoy about it? And has it, the experience changed over the last 20 years? I think the older I've got, the more I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, but that's because I think, you know, when I was younger, it was more a, it was more a chaos. Like, a, like my memories of those early days of shows are, are a little bit vague. Um, and, and, and it's just because maybe it was nerves, maybe, um, maybe our interpretation of the songs on stage as opposed to the album you know, are you thinking you must stick exactly to what the album sounds like live mm-hmm. or, or how? And I think trying to often uh, play that album live and play it exactly the same way. I know I know my vocals, for one thing, um, as far as I'm concerned, have, have improved over the 20 years. So I'm way more comfortable to get on stage now and actually sing well. Um, whereas 20 years back, I was always really nervous to sing because I was quite a late um, developer in, in, in music. And um, so I, I always felt a little bit uncomfortable and sort of often wondered why I'd sung that way on the album. And now I've got to suddenly try and repeat it like that. Uh, whereas, whereas now I know that if I go into studio and sing, I will be singing it the same way live because I'm, my singing is, 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 is sort of better. So you, you sort of, um, from, from that perspective, I'm a lot more confident on stage now. And it's purely because I think my singing has improved. Um, and, but, but that's just years and years and years of, of practice. And also you, you, you sort of become more confident with yourself and with your band, you know, so to not be scared to extend the song, play it for seven, eight minutes. Yeah. You know, give people a live experience. Yeah. You know, if you want to listen to the album, there's the album. Mm-hmm. This is the live show. The obviously elements from the album that you want you people have come to hear. They've come to hear certain choruses and hooks and melody and lyrics. They want to hear those. But if you you, you shift it here and there, or break it down a little bit more in acoustic here, or make it bigger there, I think that's really cool and that makes live great. So I think you know, I think our our live performance over 20 years has um, just um, subtly improved um, annually. Brilliant. So I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> I love playing this game. Some, some people freak out by it, but others get it too easy, get to the answer easily. <laughs> your, and when I say favorites, it's favorite inverted commas. Your mm. five top songs by other artists. It'll be um, Stereophonics. Um, uh, Dakota. Yep. It'll be um, Don Henley, Boys of Summer. Okay. It'll be The Counting Crows, um, probably a song like, uh, I don't know, maybe Anna Begins. Um, then it would be like, it would be Fleetwood Mac. What, what song of theirs? I mean, all of their songs were so good. Um, brrr, quacky. It is actually a tough question because yes. you don't actually really think about it. Oh, I need to, I need to be asking a friend. <laughs> phone um, a friend. <laughs> phone, yeah, I need to phone a friend. <laughs> so w- w- for Fleetwood Mac, which one would you say? I mean, even even older than them, like like Super Tramp, like Dreamer or one of those songs. Okay. So then we've got one more. 
Yeah, I would go. Uh, we'll keep it with the yeah. Fleetwood Mac entire catalog. So you've got yes, all. exactly. Yeah, yeah. There we go. I think, so, I think that's a safe one. <laughs> the podcast is listened to locally <laughs> and around the world. So as a final message to our listening audience, what would you like to say? Well, first of all, thanks for listening. Um, really amazing to be on your chat. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we carry on. We, we love what we do. Um, we love that we've got a really, really nice, loyal fan base um, worldwide. Um, and, and yeah, we, we're going to carry on with, with what we're doing trying to make good music, um, trying to make good albums. And yeah, I suppose just, just try and enjoy life for what it is and, and, and enjoy, yeah, enjoy music for the, the life it, it, it brings us. Amazing. So this is a Slev Svant signing out with Craig Hines. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you very much.